This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Saskatchewan Rush lose in somewhat controversial fashion. The Georgia Swarm lock up the number one seed in the East. Vancouver stays alive. The Mammoth booked their ticket. And every team is still alive with three playoff spots to go. All that more on OTCB. What is going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome to the show. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Week 16 is in the books. And wow, what a weekend it was. Every game was good. You know what I mean? Like, even... Sorry, Rochester fans, give me a moment. Even if you were watching the Colorado-Rochester game that was, for the most part, a routing, even that game was entertaining to watch just because the run that Colorado went on and the ease that they were handling Rochester. Again, if you're a Rochester fan, that game was incredibly painful. But your, did, your team did show some heart and battling uphill late in that game to make it somewhat respectable. But all the other games over the weekend is, you know, save the dramatics for the National Hockey League playoffs. But this weekend was full of dramatics. Buffalo was down 6-1 and outscored Toronto 12-2 over the rest of the game to earn a massive win, allow themselves to play with house money over the weekend and try and split the weekend, which they almost did, keeping their playoff hopes alive. Calgary goes into Vancouver on a three-game win streak, and the Stealth come back and push ahead late in that fourth quarter and take a four-goal win over Calgary, vaulting themselves into third and almost assuring themselves their first playoff berth since moving to the LEC. They are now a half a game ahead of Calgary with that win. They have two games remaining. Calgary just has one. The Mammoth have to play Colorado at home this weekend. Then they must travel to New England on the final weekend of the regular season to take on the Black Wolves in a game that really assures them a playoff spot if they win. All they have to do is win one game. Or hope that Calgary loses their final game of the year against Saskatchewan. Good thing for the Roughnecks is they'll get the rush 24 hours off of a game in Denver. So the rush could be tired, They could have travel issues. Who knows what they could be getting when they arrive into Calgary. So the last couple weekends, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And if you have been watching the National Hockey League playoffs and just the incredible finishes that they've been having, we're seeing those this week and we're seeing those right now. Because every game is a playoff game from here on out. 
it was a playoff-like atmosphere in Vancouver where I think it was 3,700 people showed up at the LEC. And they were loud. And they, regardless of how big your crowd is, if the crowd does get into it and creates a loud atmosphere, it helps. Sure, it would be awesome if there was a sold-out arena at the LEC. But the 3,700 fans that were there were making a ton of noise. And one of the reasons that the vancouver Calgary game always draws a bit of a bigger crowd is the relationship between the two teams and the number of players that are familiar with each other and the number of BC boys that are on both rosters. So it brings a bit of a bigger crowd. And they were treated to a wonderful lacrosse game. And when you get a Vancouver team that is scoring at the rate that they did the other night to put up 15 on Calgary and make a bit of a run of it late in that fourth quarter and pull away, they're a good team, that offense. And the biggest thing that they can have is they can have their depth guys scoring. Evan Messenger got his first national cross legal. James Ray chipped in. Joel McCready was a workhorse, and he chipped in. But I think the guy that really needs to have a big streak down the end is Logan Schuss. And he had five, including the game winner. Here's Durston on the dirt low. Flip back. Schuss with Ram. Shoot, scores! Feeling it. Schuss. He's back. Fourth of the night for Logan Schuss as he goes upstairs, this time on Frank Giuliano, who dropped early, leaving that shelf wide open. Stelter on top by two. That goal made it 12-10. They would go on to win 15-11. And Schuss would have five. And that is a huge thing moving forward. And that is getting depth. And that is a thing for every team across the board um, in these last two weeks. But more importantly, when we do get to playoffs. Depth of scoring. Because defenses will start to tighten up. And star players will begin to see more attention. Bigger matchups, more slides, double teams, uh, seal-offs. All these things are going to happen once we get in to do-or-die games. And if you're not getting second and third-rate scoring, you're not getting your D guys to chip in, then you're going to have some struggles. And Vancouver got that, and that's why they're in third place right now. And on the verge of their first ever postseason game as the Vancouver Stealth. They still have an opportunity to get into second. They would need to beat Colorado this weekend and beat New England and then have Colorado lose to Saskatchewan in two weekends. Speaking of the Mammoth, they can get into first place still thanks to the New England Black Oles, and we'll get to that game in a minute. But the Mammoth were up 1-0 14 seconds in when Cam Holding scored off the opening draw. And then a minute and a few later, Tory Van Every playing his first ever National Lacrosse League game. Steps on the floor for his first ever shift. Catches his first ever pass. Takes his first ever shot. And I wouldn't have this big long buildup if he didn't score. Because he did. 
and he tied it up. And congratulations, Tory Van Every, because that's not something a lot of people can say that they do or did or have done. To score on your first ever shot on your first ever shift. And he took a ball, cut right down the middle, powered it past Dylan Ward, and then you'd get another one later. which was only the team's second goal because they went 33 minutes without scoring. In that time, Colorado raced out to a 10-1 lead. They scored nine unanswered over the end of the first, the second quarter, and the start of the third. They completely owned Rochester. And much like... Vancouver, they're getting depth in scoring. Stephen Keogh, Eli McLaughlin, Chris Wardle, and the rooster, Jacob Rouet. That is huge depth. But, like every other team, when your best players are your best players, you're going to have success. And it was one of those nights for Callum Crawford and Jeremy Noble. It's all for the two-man game. Comes back, gets a re-pick, skips it to Rue. Now Crawford. Crawford has Noble open the backside. Put fake scores! You can see Noble and Crawford setting that one up on the backside. Look. The Rochester D-man didn't slide over and left Noble naked on the backside, and it's back to a nine-goal lead. It's 11 to 2. Yeah, just a beautiful look on the, on the offside from Callum Crawford. Jeremy Noble comes around the crease, sneaks around. His defender's actually double-teaming Callum for a wide-open shot at the outside of the crease. Before I go any further, I must say it was an absolute treat to call the game with Gavin Prout. Uh, that was the second voice that you heard, in case you were wondering. Um, Gavin and I went to Mercyhurst together. Then he defected the rat to Gannon, and then, in his words, he couldn't get out of there fast enough before he went to Loyola, and then kind of the, I don't know, the tales of Gavin Prout began. There were tales of Gavin well before that in his days with Whitby, leading them to a, a Minto Cup in the summer of 97. However, and I, I'm in a very um, maybe enviable, but maybe that's just my ego, um, a very strong position having guys like Jamie Shuchuk and John Gallant to be able to work beside me. Guys who have played in the league, guys who played for that franchise, understand it, know it, and can speak highly intelligently about the game. But having Gavin beside me was just so fun because he was just so lighthearted and he just enjoyed doing it. He was joking around, and I thought he did a pretty good job. But it's something that I continually hope other teams will do, and other teams need to start trying to find guys to incorporate into their broadcasts that have played at this level in this league. You know, there are other teams that have those guys. Randy Mearns, Chris Driscoll, Brian Silcott, Andy McBride helps out on the some of the Roughnecks broadcasts. Um, 
I know I'm probably well. Shanny's played in this league before. He still calls some games. And even, you know, Drew Petkoff has been filling in a little bit, Randy Fraser. So most teams have somebody in some capacity working with their broadcast, but we need more. We need guys that are just recently out of this league. Guys who have played in this game, in this generation, in this era, calling, not just calling games. And, and this was brought to my attention by, um, by Avery. Uh, when I was on his podcast maybe a month ago, um, where he said that I was like one of only a few guys who who have played the sport and actually do play-by-play because most guys go into an analyst role as a color commentator or, you know, you see in um, NFL or MLB or NBA guys work, you know, in the studios on the panels and stuff like that. And that's where I think we need more guys. But it was crazy. I'd never even thought that I was a former player broadcasting and doing play-by-play. But I think we need more guys like Gavin and former players to give back and a way of, of broadcasting. And I know it's not an easy thing to do. Trust me. It is not easy to talk all the time and find when to talk and how to probably um, dissect the play and, and all the aspects that go into broadcasting a game, whether color, play-by-play, um, or being a reporter. It's not easy. People think it's easy. It's not. So I think we need to get more guys involved, kind of just you know wean them up through the system, have them as guest announcers, or put them between the benches, let them sit in on a period because – the more guys that have played at this level within the broadcast we have, the better we can communicate what's going on to fans. And that's what make good bro- that's what makes good broadcasts great. Knowledgeable announcers and guys who have played in the league. And the more of those that we have, the better. So I just wanted to thank Gavin for for hopping on and I know Getting back to Shuey and John Gallant in a couple weeks will be just as fun for that last game of the year. Um, but back to the Mammoth now. Uh, with that win in commanding performance, and again, Dylan Ward was absolutely phenomenal. He'd only given up, I think, two goals through three quarters of play or two and a half quarters of play. And they had their pride hurt three weeks ago in Georgia. When they gave up 21, that defense didn't like that taste at all. And they put on an absolute clinic uh, defensively. They stymied Rochester in every facet of the game defensively and didn't let them get inside on Dylan Ward at all. They might have taken their foot off the gas a little bit late, which allowed Rochester to kind of get a few goals back, but that game was never really in doubt. And with that win and with the rush loss... Colorado still mathematically has a shot at the number one seed in the West. They need to win both their games, and they need the Rush to lose both of their games. Did I say that right? They need to win both. Rush need to lose both. Got it. And while it is possible, it all starts this weekend, and it's a if Colorado wants that number one seed, it's a must win for them. 
And it's a huge win because a huge game because if they don't win that game, then it makes the game of the last game of the year against the Rush a a, a very important game. Because if they had lo- if they lose that game again, like we talked about, it could allow Vancouver to backdoor into the number two seed. Now, I don't see that truly happening. But I don't think anybody thought the Leafs would be up two games to one. Just kidding, Leafs fans. Settle down. Settle down. How about those hockey playoffs? Like, ridiculous. I, I can't wait for the NLL playoffs to start. But what's going on in the NHL right now is just crazy. Uh, where were we? Uh, the rush game. That game, first of all, never should have gone to overtime. And the reason is Aaron Bull should never have and never should throw that ball at an empty net. Buchanan, far side, shot right on, saved. Aaron Bold with 49 seconds to go. Bold takes a long shot at the net, and it bounces wide. That, that just wasn't a good decision. No, Casey Guerin, it wasn't a bad play. It was a very, very bad play. And I'm sure Aaron Bold has... Felt the wrath of that decision. And this is something that I have preached on this show before. Something that I've said many times on many broadcasts. And here is why. And this is a perfect example for us to truly break this down. If Aaron Bull doesn't throw that ball. And he outlets to one of his defenders that are beside him. And then they can run the clock for a full 30 seconds. Because they most likely would have. That would have taken the game clock to 19 seconds. And Black Wolves would have been down two goals with 19 seconds remaining. Nearly impossible. But more possible is it for them to score two goals in 44 seconds, which is essentially what happened when they picked up that loose ball after Boldy threw it for the empty net. And what ends up happening? New England scores twice, they go to overtime, and they win it in overtime. However, maybe they shouldn't have won it in overtime. And you ask, well, why? That's why we're here, and I'm going to tell you. In overtime, Sean Evans draws a penalty on Kyle Rubish, and the Black Wolves go to a power play very early on in overtime. But in that power play session, Ryan Dilks picks up a loose ball near center and has an opportunity to end it. Here comes Dilks. Dilks coming in on a breakaway. Shoot stopped by Kirk. Evan Kirk, but we've got a penalty coming up now to New England. And for this penalty of too many men, we go to NLL rulebook. 2017, and take a look at rule 56.8. Insufficient playing time when illegal substitution penalty is assessed. Reading. If by reason of insufficient playing time remaining, or by reason of penalties already imposed, a bench minor is imposed for illegal substitution, which cannot be served in its entirety within the legal playing limit, 
or at any time in overtime, a penalty shot shall be awarded against the offending team. Now, you may be asking yourself, I never saw a penalty shot in that game. Correct. You did not. That is because it was wrongfully ruled. In a critical moment of the game, and the referee in charge, Todd LeBranch, got the call wrong. When I asked Derek Keenan about this, he said he never even questioned it. And I believe it's because he was still mad at Aaron Bold. However, they should have gotten a penalty shot. Instead, they didn't. So it became four on four. And then Sean Evans draws another penalty, this time on Mike Messenger, which many feel was a bit of a phantom call. As Evans got his own feet caught up and fell down. However, when I've seen the tape, Messenger does have his free free hand on Evans' shoulder. Didn't think it deserved a penalty. I'm not the referee. So that now makes it four on three. And Sean Evans scores an overtime to win it. Handing the Rush their first loss at home this year. Allowing the Mammoth still to have a shot at first overall and keeping New England's playoff hopes alive by vaulting them into the number three position in the East. Sorry, the number two position in the East. That's how much that one missed call just completely confounded the playoff situation. Because in the East... New England, as mentioned, now vaults to second because they own the tiebreaker with Toronto, and they're both 8-8. Eight and eight. Buffalo is now in fourth, and Rochester sits in fifth, six games back, two and a half games back of third. And wildly enough, they are still eligible for the postseason. They have only played 15 games. They can get to 8-10 and and make the postseason. It is mind-boggling that year after year, we find ourselves in this situation. Now, do I think they are going to get on eight wins and finish 8-10? and No. Could Buffalo win their final two games? And get to 8-10? and I don't think so. Considering they have to play Toronto and Georgia again. It is remarkable. Year in, year out, we get some sort of dramatics. Right to the final end. And it's going to happen. I love it. I love that this is happening because it just makes the last few weeks of the season that much more fun to watch and be at. Like, I'm stoked that I'm going to be at Colorado-Vancouver this weekend. And I hope that the people in Banditland are going to be coming out in droves, clad in orange and black, and as loud as humanly possible. Because it is a must-win game for the Bandits.
If they lose that game, they are out. Rochester can be eliminated from the playoffs with a loss at New England. And the Rock can clinch a spot with a win against Saskatchewan on Saturday. If that were to happen, I just, if the Rock go and beat the Rush and the Mammoth beat the Stealth, the game in Colorado on the 28th, I just don't, I, I, I just don't even want to think about it. Might lose my mind. We got to move on because that's just hurting my brain thinking about it. The only thing that is guaranteed is that the Rush will finish no worse than second. The Mammoth are in and the Swarm are the number one seed in the East. That's all we know. We will have more clarity come early Sunday morning. Your games this weekend, Georgia at Buffalo. New England at Rochester, Toronto at Saskatchewan, Colorado at Vancouver. All games Saturday. All games can be seen on NLLTV.com and your Twitter game of the week, Georgia at Buffalo. You can listen to my good buddy John Gertler and Randy Mearns. Holler at that game. And if it's not Mernsey, it'll be Dave. Dave Buchanan on the call. Dave Buchanan's like a NASCAR auto racing guy and is a really good lacrosse play-by-play guy too. I think he works for WGN in in Buffalo. Does some good stuff. Um, Some other things before we get to our guest this week. And our guest this week is Brian Lemon. I never even talked about that. Um, And this has kind of all happened because of this Saskatchewan game. I want There was no um, word from the league. You know, like... If an official makes a wrong call, leagues will put out um, a press release sort of thing saying, yep, it was wrong. Should have done that. This is the rule. This is what should Never saw that. And I don't think, I think it's because not enough of a stink was made about them missing the penalty shot. Like go back to the Alex Bouquet hit on Carson Leung and all the uproar that happened over that. And how immediately the league was putting out press releases defending or saying why it was called the way it was. Or when Alex Bouquet accidentally dropped the ball in his net last year and the referee didn't make the call and the league was quick to publish a press release. There was nothing for this. And so that's kind of why I wanted to talk to Brian Lemon um, about things. And we'll get to him in a minute. Um, just some other notes that I have. Uh, Derek Keenan is still one win away from uh, passing Darius Kilgore for all-time coaching wins. Uh, great to see Paul Day in Colorado. Uh, Paulie was my coach with the Rochester Nighthawks my first two years in the league. He was also um, with me in Edmonton. And I have all the time in the day uh, for that gentleman. He is a class guy. Uh, always has a hilarious story, always has a smile on his face. Uh, so it was good to catch up with him over the weekend in Denver. All right. 
we can get to Brian Lemon now. Uh, as mentioned, uh, it was a, a crazy call that happened over the weekend, and it was just something that I, I was standing in the Mammoth locker room, in the coaches' room, with uh, the three coaches, Steve Govett, Dan Carey, uh, and, and a few other people were in the room because we were keeping eye on what was going on in that game. And then the penalty was called, and everyone was like, that's a penalty shot. Pat Coyle was like, that's a penalty shot. Gover was like, yeah, that's, that's a penalty shot. Overtime or end of the last two minutes, that's a penalty shot. And we couldn't believe that it didn't get called. We were all shaking our heads. And so I reached out to Brian Lemon, the VP of lacrosse operations. We had a conversation about what happened in that incident. And we talked a few other things, four on four, uh, the development of referees. And I caught up with him earlier today at his home down in Florida. And I asked him if he could take his VP of lacrosse ops hat off for a moment and give us an unbiased opinion on how he thought the 2017 season has been from a fan's point. Yeah, I really enjoyed it uh, from a fan perspective and watching the game. As you said, taking the VP hat off and and watching it, uh, just a lot of exciting games. You know, the game is so fast and exciting in the transition. And, uh, you know, uh, heck, with the best players in the world playing, and uh, and, and you never know what's going to happen as the game progresses throughout the game. And close games, uh, a a lot of them, and and, uh, just real exciting across. I'm serious. Do you think your game would have translated to uh, today's National Lacrosse League? Mm, what do you mean, my game? <laughs> well, from back when you played in the old days. Oh, good question. You know, I think it's a, it, it's in a different era. You know, when when I played, uh, it was uh, it was offense and defense. You played both, so mm-hmm. obviously the game was much slower back then. You know, rules a little bit different. Uh, the strategy and the tactics, the coaching and the analysis is, is just so much uh, better. Um, you know, looking at games now, you know, the two-for-one that I hear you broadcast in terms of the strategy for coaches and, you know, going six-on-five all the time with uh, under 30 calling the timeouts. And, you know, I just don't think that stuff was around when we played years ago. And it's uh, everything is elevated. I think the game just continues to improve. Uh, you are one of the men in charge of helping the game improve uh, in your role of vice president of lacrosse operations. What's the biggest challenge for you um, on a weekly and day-to-day basis in, in making sure that um, the league is run smoothly? You know, there's there's a number of things that uh, I, I guess you can call it quality control a little bit. Um, we're looking at, uh, you know, obviously I'm in charge of the referees and their performance is paramount. Um, so, you know, it's the referee accountability uh, process that we do and inserting the referees and their crews game to game, week to week, and, and monitoring that. Uh, that's certainly a big aspect of, of the game. Um, you know, you know, looking at at the broadcast as well, and and, and uh, uh, looking at, at you know with, with the broadcast schedule, and and um, the broadcasters, you know, doing great jobs in our games, and and, and looking at that is, is another aspect as well. So, lots going on from a week to week basis. Um, let's talk about uh, your officials. 
Um, we are getting down to the end of the year, and as we move towards playoffs, usually um, in years past we've moved towards the three-referee system. But now with three referees being the norm, what's, what's the direction we go um, to ensuring the level of refereeing kind of takes the next step towards the playoffs? You know, as you said, this is the first season, the first regular season that we are in a three-man uh, on-floor, you know, four-man crew, but three-man on-floor mm-hmm. uh, refereeing system. So we've gone through, you know, 16 weeks of that and then the two weeks to go uh, of the regular season and then heading into the playoffs. You talk about referee accountability, and, and obviously it's not easy for refs to see every play or every call. And You know, it's going to be times where, you know, officials miss calls, and, and that's to be expected. Human error um, happens in every official uh, role in any kind of sport. Uh, but when we get to a crucial point in overtime, like we had in the Saskatchewan-New England game, how is it that there wasn't a penalty shot called with too many men on the floor for New England? Yeah, you're referring to to the Saskatchewan game, and it's, yeah. uh, you know, Rule 43.2. Uh, you know, that, that rule is one of the two men underneath two minutes in the fourth quarter, and in overtime, you know, it's a penalty shot. Um, the crew in that game, uh, crew chief and his, his uh, partners, um, you know, incorrectly made the, the rule application on that, and they did a time-served penalty instead of a penalty shot assessed to Saskatchewan. So um, obviously a, a critical point in the game and, and a rule application mistake. And as you mentioned, we do have an accountability program. Um, we're certainly uh, currently assessing and reviewing, you know, that mistake mm-hmm. and the, uh, the associated consequences, you know. Uh, yet, and again, I think we're similar uh, with other leagues. Um, we, we look at, you know, um, typical course of action of removing future assignments. There's an evaluation process for every official, every game, and they get that. It's, it's, uh, it's a written document that uh, the crew gets, and, and that obviously will continue, and, and mistakes are reflected, as well as, you know, all the all the good calls that they make uh, in that evaluation. Yeah. But uh, certainly, bottom line is their evaluation impacts the scheduling of future assignments and playoffs. Um, it's almost like you get the crew from week one to week 16, and um, the best guys move on to the playoffs, some of the other leagues. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, in, in mistakes such as these and, and others, we, we do have to have a course of action, and that's really the proper way to do it, of, of, of uh, having accountability um, with, uh, with those situations that uh, do come up, unfortunately, from time to time. There was no official statement from the league after that missed call. And there's obviously nothing you can do. It's not like you can go back and, and play that, that over again. Um, but what, what's the league stand? Like, what does the league say to a team when, when this situation happens? Like if Derek Keenan, you know, has an appeal or a complaint about it, what would be the process? Well, it's handled certainly internally in terms of, you know, as I mentioned, the referee accountability program and, uh, you know, again, all of this stuff gets reviewed by the competition committee at the end of the year in terms of reviewing the officials as well. So, so you know, in season, it, it's handled league-wide internally with the teams, uh, and, and certainly postseason, um, full disclosure with, with all our member clubs and, and the, uh, the competition committee. You talk about that competition committee. Um, is there, and this is something I've questioned a few times. Um, and always wondered why is it that 
the National Lacrosse League, even when penalties aren't the same time but happen at the same time, um, whether it's like in the same play but, say, 10 seconds apart, how come the National Lacrosse League doesn't allow four-on-four? Instead, you guys opt to make it five-on-five. You know, it's, it's, it's the county administration that we've had for a while, and I think that's something that the competition committee will be on my list to, to look at, you know, postseason. Um, we've, we've kicked it around in, in previous seasons. It certainly comes down to how you adjudicate penalties. So, for your example, you would go four on four if there's coincidental penalties with, you know, uh, A1 and B1 getting two-minute minors. So, you know, instead of going five on five, your suggestion is going four on four. Um, and that, certainly that will be talked about. One of the things that, that's worthy to note on that is the more you go and reduce those numbers to four on four, um, you would have more penalty shots, which mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That would be a consequence of that because you're more likely to take uh, you know, penalties under four on four than saying five on five, and the trickle-down effect is, is, is uh, likely more penalty shots. So, again, it's it's something to, to look at and review uh, in the offseason, as the competition committee always does with a number of issues and items. The last time that you and I talked uh, on the podcast, we, we talked about the, the growth of officials and, and uh, sort of the grassroots program of getting more and more um, top-level officials. How is that going, and how do you feel that you know some of your rookies in the National Cross League have done this year? You know, it's a, it's a great question. Um, about two, three years ago, in anticipation of, of, of expansion and, and just the future, just to really build the staff. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, probably our staff has the, is the youngest we've been in a number of years, and, and uh, that's really due to a lot of, uh, you know, newer officials being hired over the last two years. Um, so as you go throughout the, the season, probably like a coach and a GM, you have, you know, uh, expectations for the new guys you bring on and you know as as the week goes on in a practice like a coach or a game or an exhibition game you know wearing my hat um, you get to see and evaluate the officials and certainly some officials rise to the occasion and when they do that it's performance based they get mm-hmm. more assignments and if they perform well in that game then they continue to get another assignment so certainly uh, the accountability is built in and, and the opposite is true with officials that um, uh, you know make mistakes in some games and uh, are not performing at the NLL standards, then those assignments are taken away. So uh, it, it's certainly been an interesting year, and we'll continue to look at hiring officials and looking for the best officials in the National Cross League, uh, whether it be in Canada or the U.S. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, um, I was just thinking about something. Oh, um, reviews, uh, official reviews. Um, you know, there, there's oftentimes, you know, in the last two minutes, everything is reviewed. Is there a way to speed up the process? Um, and I know some refs are, are, are doing a good job and trying to, you know, get the best look they can and, and make that process as quick as they can. So it's not dragging the game on, but is there a way to avoid some of the challenges when it's a clear cut goal and, and there's definitely nothing to be really reviewed upon? Like, you know, if it's a, an empty net, in the last two minutes or, or nobody's close to the crease. Is there a way just to kind of bypass review or, or is that just something that, that is kind of the textbook way to go about things and, and let the officials take that quick look and make sure they get it right? You know, and that, that, that's currently our mechanic too is obviously number one, the, the official wants to get it right. So yeah. he's going to make sure 
based on the number of angles that he's been given uh, to, to make sure he gets the um, the, the right call. Um, some reviews are easier than others. Obviously, when you when you look at some some crease calls or non-crease calls, and and it's obvious based on one or two angles. Um, mm. Sometimes you need to match the angles together, and it's going to take a longer review. Um, the other factor that that you know, as I mentioned kind of earlier, when we talk about broadcast, is is the technology to to get our video replay technicians, you know, is uh, the replays up to them as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, so that's that's an aspect that, that kind of can delay sometimes based on just technology. And 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 um, I know the video replay guys do a great job in our league. Um, but certainly we're going to look at those aspects as well. But uh, if a referee is 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 you know we'll say a hundred. Uh, 100% uh, certain that no one's near the crease on that goal underneath two minutes, then uh, you know what? You can bypass that. I would say an empty okay. netter that, you know, the shot's 20 yards out, so to speak. Yeah. So um, that that is in our mechanic already. Um, and again, you know what? Guys got to make sure. So if they take yeah, a quick absolutely. look and pop out, you know, um, that happens too. Uh, we see in the National Hockey League, they have the quote-unquote war room in Toronto. Uh, where they're the ones that review all of the goals. Is that something that the NLL has ever thought about doing? I think it, it, it's on the table to consider. Uh, certainly our upgrades with uh, with NLL TV has been tremendous this year and, and a lot of upgrades. So, you know, I think that's potentially the next step down the road. Um, and and we'll, we'll, again, uh, the competition committee does a great job. They continue to, to look at the game throughout the season and in season, or excuse me, out of season, and spend a lot of time uh, to continue to improve the game. So I'm sure that will be a topic of discussion as we have, have improved our NLTV mm-hmm. and our production and our, and our broadcast. There he is. VP of Lacrosse Operations, Brian Lemon. Uh, you heard him reference Rule 43.2, and before I had – quoted uh, Rule 56.8. They are both the same rule. Uh, just one is under substitution and one is under definition of a penalty shot. Um, so the same rule, worded exactly the same, just different rule number. But it'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, he says when they look at these situations and if a referee makes um, an error in, in his officiating, they talk about it, um, there are repercussions uh, we have seen, while it's never really been made public, um, we have seen officials um, essentially suspended for weekends um, or, or maybe miss an assignment because they've missed a call. Lemon is the judge and jury in that situation. So we'll have to wait and see. You know, Le- uh, Todd LeBranch has been around this league for a long time. He's one of the most senior officials uh, in the league and often gets the big assigned games. So who knows if uh, what repercussions come of this towards him, uh, what the league does, uh, if they make an official statement as the week goes on. But I don't, again, like I kind of said to him in the interview, it's not like they can go back and replay the game. And by by Derek Keenan's response when I asked him about it, he kind of moved on and, he was more frustrated with the play Bold made than with the penalty, non-penalty shot. So we'll see. Um, also good to hear that, you know, they're, they're still trying to find um, officials, high-ranking officials, high-level officials to, to call games. 
I would like to see if, if expansion does eventually happen and we can get all the kinks worked out with NLL TV, and it's been better uh, as the season's gone on, I believe. You know, there was a bit of a, a mishaps uh, with the Twitter game this weekend, but that was sort of out of the league's control. There was something wrong with the, the box that was used to convert it to Twitter. But I would like to see them go to a quote-unquote war room for those calls. And I also like the fact that, you know, the official can opt not to review a goal in the last two minutes of play if he feels that it's a guarantee. It's not often that we see it, but at least those are things that can help speed up gameplay as things go on because, you know, we truly don't need to be reviewing an empty netter when the guy shoots just inside the restraining line and there's nobody around the net, nobody in front of him or anything like that. So, uh, Great talk with Brian Lemon. Always a pleasure to catch up with him. Uh, I know he is working tirelessly, tirelessly to keep his officials on point and keep everything running smoothly along with the commissioner, Nick Sikiewicz. Is, you know, he's obviously a very busy man, so Brian Lemon's sort of one of his right-hand men, and he is a very, very busy guy. You would like to think that everybody down in Georgia is going to be very, very busy trying any way possible to get people in the stands because we know they are going to be hosting a playoff game. According to the game sheet, there was 3,500 people in attendance. Okay. But if they are going to bring playoff lacrosse there, and they are going to play it in Gwinnett, and there isn't a large fan base, it is going to look terrible to prospective buyers and owners. And I don't know what the solution is. I really don't. I know they don't want to move the game. I know they don't want to move the franchise. But they got to do something. And in the almost a month, three weeks, a month, they're going to have to build up for this game. If you have a month to prepare for a game you know you're going to host, you better do everything in your power to make that place even half full. And they got to figure it out quick. Because a month may seem like a long time, but they've had two years and they haven't been able to put people in that barn. And their numbers of 3,500, no. I'm not buying it. I am sorry. But that team deserves better. Those players deserve better. Those players deserve to play in front of a loud crowd. They just set a franchise record for wins. They're one of the most exciting teams in the National Lacrosse League to watch, period. They are the number one scoring offense in the entire league. They have one of the best defenses in the National Lacrosse League. They have currently the best record in the National Lacrosse League. 
and they can't get people out. Pains me to see. Pains me. We already have two players in the Century Club. Curtis Dixon, Mark Matthews have reached triple digits. Lyle Thompson and Corey Small nipping at their heels. Dixon, 102. Matthews, an even 100. Lyle at 98 and Smallsy at 97. Calum Crawford sits at 90. We're getting closer. Curtis Dixon, the only person over 50 goals. He has 51, so he's going to win the scoring title. Matthews have a, has a seven-assist lead on Lyle Thompson for the assist race. So we got some, some battles, some heats going down to the wire. Uh, your goaltending stats, top G- goals against average, Nick Rose is 10.25, Dylan Ward at 10.87. So the Orangeville fellas are going to go down to the wire. Aaron Bold, Mike Poulin have 10 wins each. Oh, I don't know why I didn't play this earlier. I'm glad I just read that stat. Um, the save by Mike Poulin at the end of the game uh, to deny Dane Smith, fantastic. By five different guys. Finally, the ball's knocked loose. Dane Smith gets it as he comes up. Four seconds left. Dane Smith charging on net. Shot save from Poulin. And another no, save, and that's the game. Poland. The final shot wouldn't have counted as it was after the buzzer, uh, but back-to-back fantastic saves by Mikey Poulin to preserve that win, a 17-16 win over the Bandits. And it was a great game, and yet nobody was there. And one other sort of points-worthy race going down to the wire, well, not exactly. Um, It has been a runaway for Tom Schreiber. He has 82 points. He still has two games left to play. Kyle Jackson is at 55, Josh Courier at 35, and uh, he hasn't played quite a while as he's been injured. Um, Dan Lomas, crazy story from this past weekend. Just, sorry, more of an odd story. We mentioned um, Torrey Van Every getting into his first game for the Rochester Nighthawks. Well, so did Jordan Dance, and both players um, were instrumental in their team's success in the Arena Lacrosse League. And both made their NLL debuts over the weekend for Rochester. And in a game that they really needed to win, they put in two guys, two young kids, who've never stepped on an official NLL floor for a game. And yet, Dan Lomas, who had played in 11 of their games, had 26 points, got put to the practice roster. It was crazy. I didn't get it. What a weird move to make. Like, if Rochester was out of the playoffs, I can completely understand those moves. But they're not. They're still not, even after losing that game. But just some crazy, crazy moves. And and that's kind of the rumblings around the league of, of kind of what's been going on out in Rochester is guys being put on practice rosters um, when they're playing well or when they don't want to or maybe when they shouldn't be, Uh, guys being put on IRs when they're not really hurt, and maybe some dissension within that locker room a little bit. Uh, Guys aren't happy, and and the writing's kind of on the wall, and it'll be interesting to see what, I think I said this last week, um, interesting to see what Kurt Styers does with that franchise in the offseason. 
They're not getting any younger. And I, I truly believe that they have some assets that they could trade to get a little younger, uh, maybe get some draft picks and, and move some guys around. I know they have some, some players that other teams would love to have. Vitarelli, Dawson, teams would love to have either of those guys. Even a guy like Scott Campbell. So, again, interesting offseason ahead for the Nighthawks. But, again, they're not even – they're still in this hunt for the playoffs. It's phenomenal and wild all at the same time. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, I need to go because it is the very first Shamrocks hot stove tonight. So that's going to be interesting. I know by the time everyone listens to this, they're like, well, what the heck? What's a hot stove? Well, it's myself and former Victoria Shamrocks play-by-play guy and media guru Steve Duffy. Uh, he and I are the MCs for the Shamrocks hot stove. We have um, three current players, Tyler Burton, Corey Small, and Reese Dutch, along with three alumni, um, Burt Bertoya, Grant Hamilton, and Kevin Alexander. So we're going to be... Um, just opening up things and doing a little storytelling, having some fun. And uh, we're going to have a, a big audience there tonight. And they're going to be asking questions of these guys. And it's going to be a fun night to uh, enjoy some stories with some alumni and some current players and allow them to interact with fans and have some fun. So um, a great idea by the Victoria Shamrocks. Happy to be a part of it. But it's just going to make me cut this podcast that much shorter this week. Uh, thanks, Brian Lemon, for stopping by and giving us some time this weekend. Thanks to you, as always, for listening. There were just two weeks to go. All four games are this weekend, and they are all on Saturday. Georgia at Buffalo, New England at Rochester, Toronto at Saskatchewan, Colorado at Vancouver. Playoff spots are on the line, folks. Go to a game, and if you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun you will and surely have. Until then, my name is Teddy Jenner. Find me at Off the Crossbar on Twitter, teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email. I will see you in Vancouver if you are there. If not, until next week, be excellent to each other.